invite you, if you would, to turn back to the passage we read a little earlier in Luke chapter 15. I want to open our discussion today on forgiveness with an illustration I've used uh, from time to time over the years. It's from a book that I read in English literature when I went to public school, and I've never forgot it. In fact, I've read it more than once. Um, by Charles Dickens. When I lived in London, England with my family, I got to go through Charles Dickens' house. It wasn't that far from where I lived. And uh, he wrote a book, many really good books, but one called Great Expectations. And in it, one of the most interesting characters, not the least of which, was Miss Havisham. If you've read the book, you probably remember her. She was a wealthy heiress. Her father was very rich, and she inherited all of his money. And uh, she was engaged to be married, but her fiancé, whose name was Compeyson, he uh, jilted her. He left her at the altar. And if you read the, the book, um, when that thing or that event happened, Miss Havisham's life literally stopped. I mean, her clocks in her house remained at the time that he didn't show up for the rest of her life. That was 840 Years, in fact, decades later, um, she's still dressed in her wedding gown when she is talked to by other characters in the book. The wedding cake is still sitting on the table with the rest of the food with cobwebs all over it and mice having eaten a good part of it and running through it. Um, The book makes it clear that she never opens the drapes again in that room. She never leaves her house. She never leaves it again the rest of her life. And when talking with one of the other main characters, Pip, who's a young man, she explains to him why her life is this way. And here's what Dickens writes about Miss Havisham. On this day of the year, long before you were born, this heap of decay was brought here. It and I have worn away together. The mice have gnawed at it, and sharper teeth and teeth of mice have gnawed at me. I've always been intrigued by that statement, gnawed at me. The sharper teeth than of mice for Miss Havisham was her long-standing unwillingness to forgive. Um, Basically, what happened was, is Compeyson feigned love for her. He faked it. Because all he really wanted was her money. And so he, before the wedding day, talked her into buying her, his friend Arthur's business. And so that together they could take the financial benefits from it. And once she had done that, he had made no plan to show up on the wedding day. And he didn't. He never showed up. And because of that, she never forgave him. And that unwillingness to forgive literally ruined the rest of her life. Have you ever experienced those sharp teeth of unforgiveness? Either because you didn't receive it from someone else, or because you chose not to give it to someone else? See, if either one of those are true in your life, then you probably really fully understand the power and the importance of forgiveness and how serious it can be in someone's life. And so I have to ask, how about you? Have the clocks in your life stopped Are you living in the past? Are you holding grudges? 
Are you looking for revenge? Have you been bitten by bitterness? Those are the questions that Miss Havisham never really answered. But I hope that you and I will this morning as we look at this text because, as I said earlier, we've been looking at the parable of the prodigal sons. And we've seen that this story of Jesus illustrates three important truths. One we talked about was lostness. And then we talked about brokenness. And finally, this morning, we want to talk about forgiveness. And I want us to take a look at this teaching. And as I often do, I want you, as you're listening this morning, as you're thinking of the text and the things that I say, I want you to ask yourselves a question. And that question is namely, what kind of person would you be? What kind of church would we be if we took the teaching by Jesus of forgiveness seriously? So in, with that in mind, let's unpack three truths that we get from Jesus' parable from the Father in this text about forgiveness. The first one is this. Jesus, like forgiveness, initiates. Let me say it again. Jesus, like forgiveness, forgiveness like Jesus does it, because that's who the Father represents, God and particularly Jesus. Jesus, like forgiveness, initiates. Notice in verse 20, it says, the Father runs to his Son and basically welcomes him home. Literally, it says, he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the word embraced in Greek is a word that literally means to put your arms around and fall on someone's neck. I mean, this was no small amount of emotion. I mean, the father throws his arms around his son, and he really doesn't care what everybody else thinks. Now, think about it, though. That's amazing, considering the reality of what was taking place. If you're a father, is that me? If you're a father on the porch, right, and you see your adult son coming home who has basically been arrogant, wild, crazy, sinful, and worse, and you know that he's wasted one-third of your wealth, would you assume that he is coming home to repent? I wouldn't. You know what, to me, the most logical thing would be? Here's what you'd assume, that he spent all your money, he's absolutely broke, and he's coming back to see if you'd give him some more. See, to this father, listen, to this father, none of that matters. That's what the word means, embrace. It doesn't matter to him. He doesn't really know the condition of his son's heart. He doesn't know if he's coming home to repent. He doesn't know if he's coming to see if he can get some more money out. He doesn't really know. But even though he doesn't know, here's what he does. He initiates love. He initiates forgiveness. He's not waiting for his son to grovel. He's not waiting to look at him to see if he's going to do the right thing. Because he wants to forgive. Mark eleven twenty five 25 says this. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Did you see that? Did you see it in the text? It does not say if they come to you and repent to your satisfaction. It doesn't say if they come to you and then maybe if they grovel and then maybe if they beg you and they really feel genuinely awful about it, then if you feel like it, you'll give them another chance. It doesn't say that. You know what it says? It says that when you know of it and you're thinking about it, and particularly you're praying about it, you need to be willing to forgive them. See, 
If we're honest enough this morning, we'd have to admit that too often we stand on our porches and we say something like this. Well, he or she started it. And if they want to make this right, well, fine. I'll be happy to talk to them about it. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus said, you know what? That's not right. You can't stay on your porch. You can't wait for them to do something. You need to go to them. You need to ask forgiveness. Or you need to make it right with them. Look at these two verses in comparison. Jesus says in both of these passages that we have to go. Let me show you both angles. Matthew 18, 15 says, If your brother sins against you, in other words, you're not the offended, you're the offended one, not the one who's offending. Someone has sinned against you. What do you do? You go and tell them your fault between you and him alone. In other words, that's hard, isn't it? If someone sinned against you, you go tell them, hey, I want you to know when you said that you, you were wrong to do that, but I'm willing to forgive. That's not easy, but that's what Jesus says. But you know what he says? Flip the coin over on the other side. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. If you're offering your gift at the altar, you're in the middle of a worship service and you're really sacrificing to God. He says. He says, and you remember that your brother has something against you. Not only, not has he sinned against you, but he, you remember you've sinned against him. If it comes to your mind, you've sinned against them. You know what he says? Stop worshiping God. Leave the temple, drop your sacrifice, and here's the same word he says it again. You go and first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Do you see in the both passages, you know what the command is in both passages? Go. Whether you're offended or you are the offender, either way, you go. If someone has said something or did something against you, go and make it right. If you have done something against someone else, Go and make it right. You know what I learned from that passage? It's always your move. It's always your move in forgiveness. It's not about waiting for someone to get their heart right. It's not if they come to you, I'd be willing to. No, the Bible says if you want to be, have Jesus-like forgiveness, you initiate it. Whether you're the one who did the wrong thing or whether they did the wrong thing to you, you don't wait for them. You go. Because here's what Jesus would say. It just doesn't matter who started it. It doesn't matter who finished it. It doesn't matter who is more to blame. Well, it's really mostly their fault. You know what our problem is? Our problem is we like to stand on our porches instead of going to people and seeking to reconcile and ask their forgiveness. We stand on our porches and say, I shouldn't have to be the one who goes to them. Guess what they're saying I found out over the years. Well, they're saying the same thing you are as they stand on their porches and waiting for you to come. I truly believe with all my heart that there are marriages that are falling apart today and perhaps in churches and even in ours because people are still standing on their porches. See, there are families that are exploding and parents and, and teenagers whose relationships will be dissolved when they graduate from high school because there are parents and there are teenagers who are still just standing on their porch waiting for the other person to come to them and get it right. There are churches that are divided, people who are leaving churches and no longer become members, and they're looking for greener grass somewhere else. You know why? Because they're still standing on their porches. They're not seeking reconciliation. They're not seeking peace. They're standing on their porches. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, 
and somehow after hearing those verses, you can't find the motivation to go. You can't find the motivation to get off your porch. Can I tell you at least this? Don't ever forget, Jesus got off his porch for you. Can I say more clearly and pointed? He didn't just get off his porch for you. He got off his throne for you. Do you remember these verses in Romans chapter 5? We quote them because they're part of the Romans Road evangelism technique. Remember this verse? Romans 5, 6. And while we were still weak, listen to the phrase, while we were. See, we weren't coming to God. We were the offenders. We were the sinners. We were the ones who mistreated God and then some in an infinite capacity. Did he wait for us? No. Did we seek him? No. Did he come to us? Yes. Romans 5, 8. While we were still sinners. Romans 5.10, while we were enemies, do you get it? When you were weak, when you were a sinner, when you were enemies of God, when you had his, your hand in his face, when you wanted nothing to do with him, when you absolutely rejected him, ignored him, and unbe- there's unbelief in him in your heart, that's the very moment that he took and said, I will go and rescue, and you put your name in there, see? Can I tell you, that's Jesus-like forgiveness. Jesus-like forgiveness initiates. It's not waiting for someone else to do the right thing. It's you taking the first step because you're going to do the right thing. And it's not about whether results happen or not. It's because Jesus said so. So that's the first thing that we learn from the prodigal son and his father. His father got off the porch and he ran to him and embraced him. And kissed him. He initiated forgiveness. But the second thing we unpacked this morning about Jesus-like forgiveness is not only does it initiate, but it sacrifices. Notice verse 21 in the text. And he said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You see, the the son had sinned against the father in two ways. In the text, it's pretty clearly laid out. First, he wronged his father financially. There was a financial debt that he owed. He had squandered one-third, as the younger son, he squandered one-third of all of his father's wealth. And let me tell you what that means and how you might have felt about it if it had happened to you. See, he had hurt the family's financial future. It wasn't that he just made made horrible choices with the money that was his. No, that was the family's livelihood. It was the future down the road. It was what would keep them afloat and, and give them the lifestyle that they had always had. See, he had taken that and had nothing to do with investing it back into his family. He used it all for himself, and in hurting himself, he had hurt everyone else in his family. See, he had permanently lowered the economic status of his family. He had wronged his father financially. But he also wrongs his father socially. And this is really hard for us to grasp the enormity and the magnitude of this truth. Because we live in an individualistic, Western individualistic culture. 
And we always think about what I do and how it only affects me and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And all it's mostly what we think about. But that wasn't the culture he lived in. He lived in a shame and honor culture. And it was all about community. It was all about family. And you never did anything. I mean, literally nothing to ever bring shame or reproach on your family. But that's exactly what this son had done socially. When he left and squandered his father's money, his father lost face. You know that term? When you lose face? In other words, he had maintained for many, many years a reputation in that community of what kind of person he was and what kind of family that he had raised. And that younger son, in just a matter of a few weeks, had ruined all of that. Because of his younger son's actions, the father was no longer regarded as a person of respect. In other words, the younger son had robbed him of the social capital that he had built up over all of those years. And that's why the younger son comes back with a plan. You know why he comes back with a plan? He wants to cancel his dual debt. And you know what the dual debt is? Listen to what he says. Make me a hired servant, verse 19. What's that going to do? Well, if you hire me on and pay me a wage, I'll cancel that first part of my dual debt. I'll cancel the finance. It'll take me a while, but see, I'll pay you back what I owe you financially. And then he says... In verse 19 and 21, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. See, I've ruined it. Your reputation, your respect, I've all trashed it. But maybe, maybe as a hired servant, I could earn some of that respect back for you. And, and I want you to pay my back, my social debt to you. Now, let me stop for a minute before I go any further and listen. Be careful how you understand and interpret Scripture. Because Jesus' parable is not a parable about parenting. This is not about how to handle your wayward child who's an adult. and They're going away from God. And so this was put in here so I could take my cues from this father about how to handle my wayward child. That's not, this parable is not intended for that. Although that kind of thought is in there, that's not the point of it. The intention of it that Jesus had was not a parable about parenting. This is a parable about pardoning. See, this is about how We forgive others who have really, really hurt us. I mean, they have really, really offended us and sinned against us. And what if we did Jesus-like forgiveness in a scenario like that, what would it actually look like? So what Jesus wants you and I to understand this morning, he wants you to understand the magnitude of what this younger son did. Because I think many times, many times, you and I forget We forget exactly what our sin has done to God. And it gives us no capacity to be able to forgive the sins of those who have sinned against us. See, in first century culture, here's how forgiveness looked. Okay, this is how culturally it went. Inferior people went and asked superior people for forgiveness. If you were the superior person, the one who was right, the one who was the position in society higher, you did not go to lower people to initiate it. So when the Bible says, listen to this, because this is Jesus, right? This is God. When it says the father who has the position, who has the power, who has right on his side, see, In his culture, the son should come back to the father, grovel, beg, ask forgiveness because he's the inferior. But in this story, that is completely reversed. See, do you get that? 
It's not the son groveling to the father, although he might have liked to. He never gets the chance to because the father goes after the son. He reverses it. And the Bible says he runs to him. And you know what that means? It means in, in those days men wore long uh, clothing and it was to the ground or close to it. In order to run, you'd have to gird up your loins. That's the old King James word. And you'd have to really tie it around your belt because you didn't have freedom of movement for your legs. So in order to run anywhere, it was a little bit of a, a thing to do. And, then it, and for someone who's older, listen, children run and teenagers run, and even women run, but elder men who have real estate, who are rich and have position, they don't run in public. It's undignified. So not only does he do the exact opposite of what his culture says, as a superior, he goes to the inferior, but he undignified, he does it without any respect. And so when his son comes back to give him more respect back, he's willing to lose even more of it because of how much he loves his son. See, the father is not letting his pride get in the way about how bad this guy's hurt me. He's not getting his position in the way. He's not letting what other people might think get in the way. Like, if I go to him, then people might think I did something. See, he, he doesn't care about any of that. He doesn't care what the cultural practices are. He is not listening to people who are in his family or in his culture, in the city. Friends of his might say, hey, if your son ever comes back, you better give it to him. He doesn't listen to any of that. See, the father won't let him pay it back. He won't let him pay him back financially, and he won't let him pay him back socially. You know how I know that? Because the moment he gets in there, the son can't even finish his prepared speech. Because the father tells his servants, bring what? Bring the robe, bring the ring, bring the calf. The shoes and then the calf. See, when you wore the father's robe, it was his authority that you're his son. When you put the ring on his finger, you can, trans, you can do transactions and, and the family's business. Can you imagine squandering all the guy's money and he gives you the ring so that you can spend his money as you will? Imagine that. That doesn't make any sense to us. But that's what he did. He didn't... He didn't make him pay back the financial debt he didn't make him pay back the social debt because he put shoes on his feet he calls in the community who would have been probably outraged that the guy wasn't beating his son but instead he throws a party for him and a lavish party at that because to fill the fatted calf to kill that 75 to 100 people would probably have to be invited so he doesn't even care what people think because he wants everybody to know that his son is home and that's really what matters most but you know what he's saying to us? You know what he's preaching to us, the father, in this scenario about forgiveness? Here's what he's saying. I'm not going to let you absorb your debt. I'm going to absorb your debt for you. Can I tell you straight out this morning, that is the essence of what forgiveness means. When somebody has wronged you, from this text we might say they have robbed you, right? Right? And if you've ever been wronged financially, when you lent someone money, and sometimes quite a bit of money, and they didn't pay you back. When people have sinned against you relationally, in your family, friends, people at church. See, they've not only robbed you of money at times, but happiness. They robbed you perhaps of your reputation, robbed you of your peace, robbed you of your relationship. And sometimes you might have think because of what they said or did to you, they robbed you of your future. See, there are two things that you and I can do 
when someone robs us like that, we can make them pay their debt or we can pay the debt for them. We can absorb it. See, Jesus-like forgiveness absorbs someone else's debt instead of making them pay it back themselves. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty good at making people absorb their own debts. It comes so naturally. It's so easy. It just seems right. But often, I have to admit, sometimes I'm not so quick. Are you? I'm not so quick to make me myself absorb their debt. You know why we're like that? I had to think about it this week. Because if you're going to absorb someone else's debt, it's going to involve sacrifice. Do you know why the elder son comes in at the end of the story and he's so mad and he has no forgiveness for his brother? Do you know why? He doesn't want to sacrifice because to forgive him, he'd have to say his brother wasted money that could have been his. And now he's taken the fatted calf, which costs a lot more money. So not only has his brother dented his money, but he's denting even more of his money because his father's lavishing things on him that he doesn't deserve. So there's absolutely no way the elder son is going to forgive him, you see? You know why? Because to do that, the elder son would have to sacrifice. And even more so, can I tell you? Because if you're willing to sacrifice for someone that you love, it also will involve suffering at times. So you look at this text and you say, well, how in the world could the Father do that? And even more pointedly, you ask yourself, how in the world could I ever do that? Pastor Walker, you don't even know. If I told you the story of why I'm bitter and why I'm angry and why they haven't, you know what they said? You know what they did? If you really knew that, you wouldn't be saying that. How can I possibly do that? Let me tell you what's standing in the way. I read the text and I said, he ran and he kissed him and embraced him that day. And I asked the question, how in the world could he do that? You know how? Because the Bible says, for the longest time, the father had been standing on the porch. You know what that means? That means that he had been forgiving him in his heart all the days leading up to the day that he actually showed up. He wasn't standing on the porch out there and, and saying how awful he was. Because let me tell you this, if you are a person who has something against someone and you haven't forgiven them and it's been a while, can I tell you what most of our propensity is? Is to keep running the tapes, rewinding them, replaying them over and over and over again. And so if we do that long enough and the person actually over time comes and says, you know, I'd like you to forgive me. You know how hard it's going to be for us to do it? You know how cold and indifferent your response is going to be? You know how unloving you will find your heart to be? Just like Miss Havisham. But that wasn't the way it was with the father See, all those days before his son ever showed up, he wasn't rewinding and replaying the tapes of how bad his son had treated him and all those different levels. You know what he was doing in his heart? He had already forgiven him first. See, before he ever got home, in his heart, he would already forgive him. And, And just like I think, I can't prove it from the text because no story or parable is complete like this, but the, the son had a prepared speech. I think the father had a prepared speech. That's why he cut his son off. Because he already knew what his son might say. And he was ready 
he was ready because in all those days leading up to that day, he had first forgiven his son in his heart. Forgiveness like Jesus pays the debt of someone else in your heart first so that when the event comes in real time, in real life, you'll be able to do it and you won't be able to say, I can't do that. You know why? Because you have been replaying the tapes. And over and over again, you keep rehearsing yourself over and over again. And you feel that you're justified for it. But that's not what the Father did. You know why? Because Jesus, like forgiveness, throws out the tapes. See? It doesn't keep rewinding them or replaying them. It tosses them. That's Jesus-like forgiveness. Because Jesus-like forgiveness initiates, Jesus-like forgiveness sacrifices. But lastly, Jesus-like forgiveness loves. You have to be able to think this way because I'm thinking that when I'm talking to you today, you're going to go like, this is impossible. Are you kidding me? You expect this to happen? Really, Pastor Walker? This is so idealistic. So ethereal, right? But it's not. And you know why it's not? Because the only way that this kind of forgiveness can ever take place is if it happens inside first. It's an inside job. It's an internal thing. And you know what description the Bible gives in Jesus' parable of this father who sacrificed and initiates like this. You know how it's possible for him to get off of his porch and run to his son after all he's done? You know how it's possible? Look at verse 20. His father, when he saw him a long way off, listen, his father, listen to this, saw him and had compassion. He felt compassion. B.B. Warfield A Princeton theologian, when Princeton was good theology center, he wrote a book about called The Emotional Life of Our Lord. And in it, he studied all the words in the original language of the New Testament about Jesus' emotional makeup as the God-man. And the one word that was more common than all the other emotional words about Jesus put together was this word in this text, compassion. It literally means to be moved from the very depths of your being in love for someone. See? And that word is over and over in the Gospels. It's constantly used of Jesus. And can I tell you just real quickly, the three times that that word is used in Luke's Gospel, all three of them, when it's talking about raising the widow of Nain's son, Jesus saw her crying and weeping over her son because he was socially everything. She would be a widow. She would have no one with income, no one to take care of her. And and bad things happen in first century culture if you were without a husband and a son to take care of you. He sees her, and then it says he has compassion on her. The Good Samaritan parable in Luke 10, 33 is the second time it's used, and Jesus says that the Samaritan goes by. The priest doesn't, he sees the same situation, does nothing. The Levite sees and does nothing. But you know what? The, the Samaritan comes by, and it says he saw the man, and he had compassion. See? And so the third time, our text, Jesus, in our story, says the father is waiting. And you know what he's waiting? He's looking. And when he finally sees his son, he sees him. He has compassion on him. I am convinced that we do not 
forgive others like Jesus because we do not see others like Jesus see. We don't. Jesus looks at the widow of Nain and he sees someone and he sees her problems. He sees below the surface. This good Samaritan saw what the other two never saw. See, the good Samaritan, the other two saw him. This guy on the road half dead is a problem, a risk. It could cost me something. I'm not doing it. But the, this good Samaritan, he's willing to love because he's willing to suffer. And he's willing to sacrifice. He doesn't know if the bandits are still around. But he's going to take this guy, drop him off somewhere, pay his debt, pay the money he needs to get better. Because that's what love does. That's what forgiveness does. See, that's what the father did. He saw his son And he had compassion. And here's what Jesus wants you to think this morning. He wants you to think, child of God, before you knew me, that's what I was doing for you. See, when I was on the porch and you were the prodigal, and I saw what you were messed up in, and I know what you did, and I know how you squandered my stuff. And by the way, we didn't just squander one-third of Jesus' wealth. Way more than that with our sin. Way more than that. But he's on his porch, and you know he's waiting for you. And when he sees you way off and doesn't even know what kind of heart you have when you're coming home, he runs to you. You know why? Because when he sees you, he loves you in a way that no one else does. You see, Jesus is not just willing to lose face, although he did. He's not willing just to look down on and despise his social dignity, although he did. He was stripped naked and beaten and tortured and crucified that way publicly he did more than gird up his loins he gave his life he was rejected by you and me emotionally socially physically and he willingly knowing all that you would do and not do willingly and lovingly absorb all of your sin debt and mine he did and by the way ours is no simple financial or social debt it is an infinite debt against an infinite God. And he died on the cross. So while we were weak, while we were ungodly, while we were still enemies, sinners, why? Why would he do that? Why would Jesus die and sacrifice and suffer like that? Why? Because you know why? Because he wanted to fall on your neck. See? He saw you for who you were and loved you anyways. And he embraced you and he wants to kiss you. And he wants you to know that when you come into heaven, that I have canceled your debt. Listen, it's more than that, though. It is not just so that you can have that for eternity and then just have it stop with you. He says this, Ephesians 4.32, and be kind one to another. Tender-hearted. See what he's like? Tender, be like the father in the parable. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as I have forgiven you. See, you're supposed to look at the father and see Jesus. You're supposed to look at the father and see the cross. You're supposed to understand that that's how Jesus loved you. He got off the porch and he ran to you and he gave up his dignity. He gave up his respect. He gave up his life. To forgive you. And then you can't forgive someone else? You know how the story ends? In 1532, he's trying to coax the elder son into coming inside. He's not doing a very good job because the elder son is a Pharisee. And Pharisees are only concerned about breaking God's rules, not breaking God's heart. 
And he's only worried about what it will cost him to forgive. And so he has no capacity for it. And then his dad says to him and gives him the explanation of why he can forgive. Here's what he says. Because my son who was dead is alive again. Do you know what the power of forgiveness can do? It can bring life out of death. Forgiveness can resurrect someone completely. Completely metamorphosize and change and transform their lives. So can I go back for you, if you haven't already, answered our opening question. Remember what I said? What kind of Christian would you be? What kind of church would we be if we took Jesus' teaching on forgiveness seriously? You know what kind of people we would be? Jesus-like people. And you know what would happen if we did that starting today? I think dead marriages would be resurrected. I think dead members of our church who are nothing but critical and angry and bitter because they didn't get their own way, they would come alive again for others and God. I think dead families would be reconciled to one another. I think dead friendships and people who had relationships would be restored to one another. You know why? Because that's the power of Jesus-like forgiveness. And that took place in this parable. But more so, listen, it can take place in your life. It can. But you'd have to first be able to see yourself and what God has done to forgive you because you'll never have the capacity to forgive anyone else until you are willing to forgive others. I'm going to close with this. Jesus went into the house of a Pharisee and there was a sinful woman in there. It's kind of like a real-life portrait of the prodigal situation. There's a Pharisee named Simon. He's the elder brother. There's a woman who's wiping Jesus' feet with her hair and with her tears. And there's the prodigal son. And Jesus, Simon's all mad. He says if Jesus was a prophet, he was really the man of God. He thinks he, or he says he is. He would know what kind of woman she is. And he wouldn't be letting him touch her. You know what Jesus says because he knows his heart? He says, Simon, I have something to say to you in Luke 7. And he says, say it, Rabbi. He says, the Bible says this. He's talking to Simon, but he's looking at the woman. And he says, Simon, do you see this woman? And the answer is no. Yes, physically he sees her. But he doesn't see her beyond any of that. He doesn't see her spiritually. He doesn't see her need of a savior. He he doesn't see her need of forgiveness because he himself, hear me, thinks that he doesn't need any himself. And the end of the story, you know what Jesus says? He says, to whom little is forgiven, you will love little. But to him who is forgiven much will love much. That's where we get the capacity. See, loving much is what Jesus died for. Forgiving much is what he was crucified for. And if you could only see the magnitude of your sin and how much he's forgiven you, you could love so much more, so much more quickly, fully, 
completely. Folks, we need to get off the porch today. Will you do it? Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, I think this is one of the most important truths that 21st century people need to grasp. We live in a cancel culture, and in our culture today, in so many levels, there is virtually no forgiveness left. That may happen out there, but it should not happen in here. Not if you claim and truly know Jesus and say you follow him. Not if you've ever been to his cross. See? With every head bowed and every eye closed and no looking around, perhaps the God of forgiveness is opening your eyes afresh and anew today to your own sin. Maybe he's put the mirror of his word in front of your face and said, look, look what you are and were and what I have done for you. And you're going to hold that grudge. You're going to be bitter. You're going to go around and talk behind those people's backs to others and slander them and make them look awful. You're still, after all this time, you're going to continue to do that? You just don't understand. There is forgiveness with you, God, that you might be feared. See, here's your, your responsibility. It's always your move. It's always your move. You need to go today. Go write that letter. Go talk to that person. Go speak with them. Go work it out with them. At least make an effort to try. Whether you're the offender or you've been offended, Jesus said it doesn't matter because that's what I did for you. I challenge you today, and I would love to hear your story if things happen, that you would say, I want to forgive others like God in Christ Jesus has forgiven me. And I'm going to make the move. Would you get off your porch this morning? Father, I pray for those who might be here this morning or listening or watching watching today who have never known the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ, have never recognized they're sinners and they need a Savior, and that Jesus died on the cross and rose again so that he might forgive them, and that's exactly how much he loves them. Oh, Father, would you, by your grace and for your glory, would you bring repentance, would you bring brokenness so there can be forgiveness? And I pray for Christians here who are making excuses in their mind, even as I'm talking about how it should be the other person, they're not really to blame, and they don't really shouldn't be the one, and they're going to stand on their porch until it's too late. Master, would you grant us humility? Would you grant us brokenness? Would you grant us the ability and the capacity to see our sin and its magnitude that we in turn might go and seek the forgiveness of others? Lord, with the great diversity you've given to us at faith, would you also allow us to have a great unity? That we might be one as you have planned us to be one. That we might be the people who live in a culture of forgiveness. That the world might be able to say this, as 1 Corinthians says, truly God is among them. And we'll praise you for that blessing in Christ's name. Amen. If you're able to, please stand and we'll sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
Great is thy faithfulness, oh. 